Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside D. Lou. As we look back at K-State's 21-6 win over the Texas Tech Red Raiders on a cold and uh, wintry senior day in Manhattan, Kansas. It, uh, it was a cold one, a hard-fought game, uh, but the Wildcats defense uh, really was the star of the show as uh, K-State closes out the home season uh, with a 21-6 win over the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Bringing in here, D. Lou, we're recording this podcast. We're burning a little bit of the midnight oil here on the short side option. Uh, after the uh, the Chiefs fall to the Rams uh, tonight, uh, of course, uh, I've got D. Lou here, who is as big of a Chiefs fan as I've ever met in my life, and it speaks to his professionalism to be on the on the podcast with us on short, short notice after, after a, a loss like that. Uh, D. Lou, how are we holding up? Chris, it was a... Uh... It was an insane game, you know. Uh, seems like a game we should be familiar with. A lot of, a lot of Big Twelve games look like that one, huh? Absolutely. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Big Twelve game tonight. Yeah, that's right. Lots of lots of up and down action. Uh, almost took looked like a little bit like K State's offense running up and down the field. Oh yeah, games, just just a well oiled machine. Two teams uh, tonight uh, doing their best K State impression with. Skylar Thompson, of course, throwing just bomb after bomb to um, to Zach Reuter and just letting it fly. Well, what you didn't see out there was the lynch bob type defense that you saw from K State last Saturday against Texas Tech. You know, typically whenever we break down these games, we start uh, by highlighting the offense, but I think today we can only start with the defense. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've been saying it for weeks, and now many people are saying it that the K-State defense is a force to be reckoned with this year. And although some of the metrics don't shine too kindly on K-State's defense over the season, um, I think a lot of that is because of some particularly bad performances, um, you know, against Oklahoma, for instance, against West Virginia. Uh, but you, uh, you saw on Saturday just how impressive they could be. I mean holding that Texas Tech offense to 150 yards passing, uh, just 31 yards on the ground. Uh, that's extremely impressive, especially given who the opponent was. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Texas Tech had you know been putting up uh, 30, 40 points a game against most of their competition. Uh, you know, really went up and down the field last week against a pretty good Texas team. And K-State... Um, really dominated uh, the Texas Tech offense. I think in after they got the 6 nothing lead, I think I read something, they had only 75 yards after that. Wow. Really an impressive performance throughout uh, as they held uh, Texas Tech to 181 yards, which uh, is a season low. Yeah, and, uh, you know, especially you don't expect Texas Tech to be a world beater on the ground, but and you have a quarterback like uh, Duffy, who hasn't set the world on fire uh, this year, but has had some nice performances, scored four touchdowns against Texas uh, two weeks ago, and K-State held old J-E-T-T-D-U-F-F-E-Y to only uh, 150 through the air, no touchdowns, and an interception, a QBR of 17.7. You uh, know what, those Red Raider fans aren't going to be saying, ain't he great? No. They yeah, they're not. going to be saying far from that. Absolutely. And so 
a wonderful all-around performance by K-State's defense. Uh, I think we can firmly say that the lynch mob uh, remained this week and uh, just persisted, and uh, hopefully they can continue that next week in Ames. Well, it seems like every week when we do talk about the defense, a name that we bring up is Justin Hughes. And, again, you have to look at him as he, he led the Wildcats in tackles with eight tackles, six of which were solo. Also had a tackle for loss and a fumble recovery. Uh, this is a guy that's, quite frankly, played at an all-Big 12 uh, caliber level uh, here during the second half of the season, especially down the stretch. When you look at some of the different metrics, uh, such as the P- PFF, uh, grades, they they really reflect uh, well on him. And, you know, really, it, it makes you think, man, for a guy that his status was in question, very much in question, with is he going to be part of the team? Um, you know, what's his role going forward? Is he going to be more of a backup player or more of a starter? But having seen what he's been uh, doing here these last, uh, you know, several ball games. You think where would this defense, uh, where would the linebacking core be without him? So it's it's really been an impressive, uh, you know, end of the season for him. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, this the development, the late season development out of another K State linebacker you saw a couple years ago uh, with Mike Moore. Yeah, um, a guy who came on, uh, didn't have a, I mean, had a pretty pedestrian first half of the season. Uh, Mike Moore did, I believe that was in two thousand. Was it 16 or 15? I think it, was, it would have been 2015, and then he, he really kind of took stranglehold. and in, Right around uh, the West Virginia game. Yeah, the, I remember the West Virginia game in 2015. He, I think he had over almost 20 tackles. Yeah, it was one. some out, outrageous and number. And that was also, too, uh, coming off of the news that he had to have brain surgery uh, due to, I think he had like a brain aneurysm or something like that. It was wow. He had a he, near... Kind of a you know a very serious medical condition. I'd have to double check exactly what that condition was, but I believe it was something with the head. So sometimes you have. I mean, that was a an idea that or that was a condition that none of us had really much of an idea on. But go ahead, continue. Well, yeah. So you just seeing him develop this late into the season is kind of a little surprise for K State this year. Has certainly uh, been one of the reasons that K State's defense has uh, progressed so much over the course of the year. But then also on Saturday against Tech, you saw K-State's defensive line starting to create some havoc that we hadn't seen in the earlier part of the year. Uh, Reggie Walker and Wyatt Hubert each had a pair of sacks apiece, and uh, getting the pressure on uh, Duffy definitely uh, you know, contributed to the hard time that Texas Tech had moving the ball down the field. Well, you also, I uh, thought Trey Deshaun played well on the defensive line. Uh, A.J. Parker helping out in the secondary with a with a nice interception inside the red zone as Texas Tech was trying to inch a little bit closer. But really, when you look at it, you can look at all three levels, the defensive line, uh, the linebacking core, and uh, the secondary all having major uh, impact on, on this game from the K-State defensive perspective. So really a extremely impressive performance by the lynch mob absolutely and and moving away from the defense for a moment you know against uh several times this year you saw k-state special teams just have really bizarrely bad performances i mean take tcu for example with those miscues um 
KU, obviously, what would we say, four or five mm-hmm. just devastating uh, special teams plays. But against Tech, special teams was on point. I mean, you had the punt block for the safety. Points, yep. And then you have the kicking game getting back in order with Blake Lynch making four, four. four field goals. Um, needed every one of them. Well, technically speaking, you needed... Uh, none of them. <laughs> but the point stands. The point stands. But uh, A neat little guy also got uh, Special Teams Player of the Week in the conference. So oh, that, good for that, him. That came down today. Yeah. So, that's uh, Congrats to Blake Lynch there. A, an enormous accomplishment for a tiny fella. And so hats off to Blake Lynch there. But, uh, you know, you see in a game where the offense only scores seven points, um, only scores one touchdown, against such a prolific offense like Texas Tech generally has, you think, well, K-State's going to lose this game by 30 points at least. Uh, But the defense and special teams uh, carried more than their weight, and uh, K-State was able to win a game in which they scored seven points uh, on offense by two scores. Well, let's uh, transition a little bit here to the offense. Uh, Skylar Thompson got the start. Uh, maybe a bit of a surprise to some folks, uh, as he uh, did not see any action against KU last week. Uh, how would you characterize his play? I thought he had some nice moments, uh, really doing a little bit outside of the pocket, I thought was where he was at his best. Uh, did have a, a bad interception as, as K-State was getting into the red zone there. Uh, going on the north end there, but overall thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I'd characterize his performance as just pretty steady. Um, you know, he he threw some nice balls, threw for uh, 213 yards, which is quite a bit for K-State, uh, especially this season. Um, 17 of 26, and he did have the interception, but hard to to come down on him too hard for that because that's a tough throw. That and it was a spectacular play by the by uh, the Texas Tech uh, defender there with uh, you know making a an acrobatic one handed catch. Uh, Adrian Fry with that one, so give him kudos there on that. That was an excellent play there uh, by Mister Fry. Yeah, and I, you know we thought Fry might play a difference in this game and be an X factor. And sure enough, and sure enough, yeah, uh, he was. He certainly contributed, but. No, Thompson did fine. Um, I'm. I thought our offense played fairly well, but I I want to really temper my praise of them because, after all, like we said, they did only put up one touchdown in the game against uh, a Red Raider defense that is not very good. And so, um, Tom. The bottom line is the offense did fine, but they need to uh, do a better job of. Punching the ball in the end zone when they are moving the ball. Uh, settling for field goals is not going to win you very many games against Texas Tech. And uh, that's been a problem this year for K-State in terms of finishing drives. Uh, and it uh, it reared its head again on Saturday. But luckily, uh, the defense and special teams were able to more than make up for it. Yeah, and I thought K-State did a good job playing a little bit of complimentary football here in terms of defense gets a big stop there on on a fourth and six um, with with a, a mishandled snap by Texas Tech. Wyatt Hubert uh, drags down Jet Duffy, and K-State goes right down and, and marches uh, the remaining 48 yards on seven plays to uh, take the lead. 
uh, as the first half is winding down. And uh, they don't surrender that lead. They don't give up another point. They take the 10-6 lead going into the break, uh, come back out, and uh, they don't get a great drive to start the second half. Uh, they march it down to the Texas Tech side of the field, but uh, turn it over on downs. Uh, what do you think of that decision to go for it there? You know, I like the decision at that point. It, it seemed like we were kind of getting some momentum on offense. Uh, really, at this point of the season, there's nothing really to lose. It's uh, it, it's a situation where you have to win out in order to, to qualify for a bowl. And so I don't mind that. Uh, I don't mind that call. I I. I don't really necessarily like the play call in terms of going out of the wildcat. I think that makes you pretty one-dimensional in that situation, unless uh, you know we're holding a jump pass in there. But uh, we might see that maybe this week. How, how, what do you think about that prediction? I like it. I mean, it's something we haven't seen uh, since Dimmel's departure, and I I don't recall whether we saw it at all last year. Now that I think about it. Uh, we, you know, I believe we uh, ran one last year against Iowa State. Matter of fact. Oh, is that right? Uh, Barnes threw one to uh, to Winston Demo in the end zone. Oh, uh, that's that's correct. Down there on the south end. That's that's absolutely right. Um, we'll see if our uh, offense coordinators still have that up their sleeve. Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, I at the time I didn't mind it. It was I didn't mind the uh, wildcat move. I also didn't mind the decision to go for it. Uh, but man, K State in short yardage on fourth down this year. It's just rough. not being good, and you wonder if teams are just cheating so much for something inside. Although against West Virginia, we optioned out, uh, audibled out to the option, um, and so you wonder if maybe if the opportunity comes up again against Iowa State, you run something off play action or you know. And the other thing too, and, and to harken back to that West Virginia option call. I believe that option was to the long side of the field. I'd much rather see that to the short side. Oh, absolutely. That's that's where options should be run. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, K-State can't speak enough to the job they did on the defensive side of the ball. One of the most impressive performances I've seen uh, from a K-State team. Granted, the conditions, I think, played a little bit of effect. Uh, cold, windy day, uh, tougher Texas, a- or Texas Tech, rather. Uh, to move the ball a little bit, maybe with the conditions, but K State's defense had a, had a large uh, part to do in that by getting in Jet Duffy's face and making things uncomfortable for him throughout the day, really. So, uh, Drew, is there anything else you're wanting to uh, to touch on here as we uh, finish up wrapping up the Texas Tech review? Uh, just one issue is you wonder where uh, what Cliff Kingsbury's job security is at the moment. Um, they're now they've now lost four straight. After starting the season five and two, and back after the KU game a few weeks ago, you're thinking, boy, for those who are wondering whether Cliff was on the hot seat, they, that has been absolutely answered uh, because it looked like his job was safe as can be. But after uh, three losses to Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Texas, and even then you can't really criticize him too much because those are three of the best teams in the conference uh, outside of uh, West Virginia is up there too, obviously. But losing to K-State by 15 is um, not what you want if if you're Cliff Kingsbury. Well, it was a particularly lifeless Texas Tech showing too. I mean, not, not much that you can really hang your hat on there uh, if you're watching that game as a Red Raider fan. So, yeah, he's... Cl- 
you know, right on the hot seat. This game against Baylor uh, next week is very reminiscent to where he was at last year, needing a win over Texas in the final game of the season to get to a bowl game. So a season that was looking really pretty darn good for Red Raider fans um, looks a lot like uh, seasons past where it's coming down to the last game of the season here uh, to see if they will be uh, playing in the postseason. So be something to definitely watch out uh, for here as we as we enter uh, the last week of the regular season and as we go on into the coaching carousel. So uh, quickly, Drew, do you think um, do you think Cliff Kingsbury should be back? Should be. Um... No, I don't think he's taking him in the right direction. Uh, I, th- I think he's a fine coach, and I think he will. Uh, he's still very young. Uh, what is he, 37 ish? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, uh, I'm just spitballing, but he's got a very bright career ahead of him, regardless of, of whether that 39 continues. Years old. 39. 39. Okay, still. Um, Regardless of whether he's Texas Tech's coach next year and beyond, uh, I think if he's not Texas Tech's head coach, he'll have a lot of suitors calling him to be offense coordinator at, at some of the highest programs in the country. Or he could go step down to probably the G5 level and, and lead American. a team there. So he's got a lot of options. But moving forward, I think regardless of what Tech, Tech does against Baylor, uh, he's pr- the Cliff Kingsbury era in Lubbock should probably come to a, a close. But I think that whether or not that happens, I think a lot of it does depend on what happens at Baylor. Yep. And so if he can go out there and spank Baylor, who's a bit of a rival with Tech, um, if he wins that game by multiple scores, and I think uh, I'd feel pretty confident in him being retained at least for one more year. Uh, but right now, it's up in the air. I think he should be back. I think losing Bowman uh, early in the season really hamstrung him. That's true. And I think with uh, Bowman back, they probably win uh, a few of those games. And I think they're looking at a team that is probably in the top uh, top half of the Big 12, uh, maybe as high as third or fourth. And I think that that injury really hurt him. I think he should be back. I don't think he will be back. So... Uh, give a little bit two different answers there on that, but I think he should be back. I think if they have Bowman, uh, it's a different story for them this season. So that'll do it here for the Texas Tech uh, review and K- uh, of the K State game. We've got a twenty-one to six victory as K State sends the seniors out uh, on top in a nice uh, senior day performance as the Wildcats uh, really dominate uh, this game and and uh, beat the Texas Tech Red Raiders twenty-one to six. We'll be back to preview Farmageddon against the Iowa State Cyclones after this short break. All right, we are back here on the Short Side Option Podcast where we will look ahead to the most storied rivalry in college football. Yes, that's right, folks. I'm talking about Farmageddon, as K-State heads up to Ames, Iowa, to take on the Iowa State Cyclones in a game that uh, means bowl eligibility for the Wildcats. Uh, Iowa State coming off of a a loss on the road uh, to Texas, uh, hanging their heads maybe a little bit as they 
have fallen out of the conference title uh, cha- or conference championship game race uh, as they would have had a chance to, to get to Dallas and and uh, play a game either against uh, Oklahoma or or te- or West Virginia uh, most likely uh, for a chance to get a conference title, but uh, they fall uh, to the Texas Longhorns 24 to 10. Uh, it's a game that K-State uh, and a series that K-State has, do- has dominated here over the last decade. And uh, they look to go on the road uh, and, and have some more luck against Iowa State. Uh, K-State opens up as about a 14-point underdog. Uh, but in Farmageddon, you can throw the records out, baby, because this game uh, is is always coming down to the wire, it seems like. So, uh, yeah, you- throw the record books out. It always comes down to the wire, and uh, K-State always wins on some... Uh, miraculous turn of events, in, really. In some way that you've never seen a team win a football game before, be it a blocked extra point, a team fumbling when they could have kneeled out the clock. Um, picked up flags. Picked up, properly picked up flags. Well, well, very well done by the officials. Good job by the officials last year. Um, and then, us, you know, a touchdown on the last play of the game. And so... Throw the record books out, I guess, uh, because you don't you don't need to look at them because K State generally wins this game. But keep an eye on uh, how K State wins this game because chances are that it's it'll be in a way that uh, if history repeats itself, you'll never have seen before. So, well, this is an Iowa State team that really is a, a pretty darn uh, good team. A little bit, I think, an, of an improved team this year uh, from from what I've seen. Uh, what do you see uh, from this year's edition of the Cyclones? Yeah, they're an interesting team. They've they've developed more of a contemporary offense using a lot of uh, RPO type stuff. Um, obviously, you have David Montgomery, who is well known to you if you follow Big Twelve football uh, over the last uh, year or two. Um, kind of a more of a pedestrian season this year than I thought a lot of people expected. He has uh, 179 carries for. Under just under 800 yards, uh, seven touchdowns. Uh, he of course sat out the first half against Texas last week due to an altercation he had against uh, Baylor uh, in the during the prior week. Uh, but one of the big stories this year for the Iowa State offense is quarterback Brock Purdy. Uh, he's a freshman and being heralded uh, is a, one of the certainly one of the conference's best young quarterbacks and one of the quarterbacks that uh, the new faces at quarterback that is one of the better guys in the country. Would you say he's pretty good? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd characterize him as pretty good. Um, and he's got a very nice target to throw to, to as well with Hakeem Butler, who's a... Uh, 6'6", 225 guy. Uh, he's got 42 catches this year for 915 yards. And so a, really a pretty nice balanced attack for the Iowa State offense. Um, obviously, they didn't get it done, put it, putting up only 10 points against Texas. But an offense that's trickier than you're used to uh, seeing for Iowa State. Yeah, and not only do they have some playmakers with, with Purdy, who's... Uh, like I said, pretty good, uh, pretty capable player, a little bit of a dual threat guy, a highly recruited guy as a as a freshman coming out of Arizona. 
uh, had scholarship offers all over, uh, even had an offer to Alabama, but chose to go uh, to Ames, Iowa, and play for Matt Campbell and the Cyclones. Uh, but when you talk about Montgomery and uh, Hakeem Butler, you're talking about uh, two of the best players, really. Uh, well, not maybe two of the best, but two of the premier players at their positions. Uh, you can definitely make the argument uh, that they'll be seeing themselves on a couple of these all Big 12 teams. Yeah, just an excellent per year, especially from uh, Butler. But Purdy's a guy who kind of came out of nowhere and... Uh, you know, you put up 13 touchdowns, three interceptions in the Big 12, and you have a another guy in your backfield like David Montgomery, and you're starting to think to yourself, well, this is going to be a pretty powerful offense. Sure. And one thing, they, they have those weapons, but one thing that Iowa State struggles with, uh, like K-State, is finishing drives once they get into a scoring position. So they can move down the field with relative ease with those guys, but... Um, in terms of finishing drives, it's it's it hasn't come easy for the Cyclones. Well, one thing I wanted to get into here a little bit was the Iowa State defense. It's one of the better ones in the conference, if not the best. Uh, an aggressive defense, uh, but also they do a little bit something that's maybe a little bit unorthodox here in the Big 12 as they really sub a lot of players in and out. Uh, they, they'll rotate... Uh, players all throughout their depth chart to kind of give them uh, an edge to where they feel like, oh, we want to have our freshest, we want to have fresh guys out there. We don't necessarily have to rely on you know the same eleven players all the time. But the, it's been a defense that's uh, really performed pretty well this year. Yeah, and that subbing out a lot of guys it, it helps, especially with the pace that a lot of Big Twelve offenses like to run. Keeping fresh guys on the field obviously allows them to keep up with. Uh, the frenetic pace that the offenses run, but making those substitutions also can serve to slow down uh, the offensive pace a little bit. And so a couple things that uh, those substitution patterns help out with, and it, it has certainly worked well for Iowa State, whatever they're doing, because in terms of uh, their defense against the run, they're 24th in the country according to S&P+. Plus. Against the pass, they're 20th in the country, according to S&P+. And so you add that up, and all of a sudden you have a pretty good defense that can do both. So this Iowa State team got off to a little bit of a slow start this season. Uh, of course, they had uh, an early game canceled, uh, and then it's going to be you know made up with Incarnate Word here. Uh, at the end of the season. That's another game you can throw the record books out because I know for a fact that Iowa State and Incarnate Word are, there's no love loss between those two squads. Absolutely. And uh, they, they start out the season uh, going on or going on the road uh, with a true road game at Iowa. Uh, then they welcome Oklahoma to Ames. Uh, then they, they get a win over Akron, but then they have to go on the road to TCU and they drop a, a close one there. You have to feel like for as bad as the season kind of started in terms of, you know, they kind of got into a little bit of a rut there starting out um, one and three. They rebounded really nicely in the heart of conference play, uh, pulling off upsets uh, against West Virginia where they really dominated that game. And you have to think that they started kind of getting it rolling there, but uh, coming off a 24-10 loss to Texas and, you know, losing that, uh, what chance they had of getting to a conference championship game, 
you wonder where uh, where their heads are uh, kind of going into this game. Yeah, you, you wonder if um, Iowa State's going to be a little emotionally drained after that Texas game because going into that game, everyone, the talk around Iowa State was that this might be the biggest Iowa State game of all time. And really, 24-10 to 10 doesn't really paint the entire picture because Iowa State got uh, a score in the fourth quarter to make it look a little closer than it was. But Texas really controlled that game. Um, and for an Iowa State team to be putting that much, to be that invested emotionally into that game and then go out and lay an egg um, and get really dominated by the Longhorns, it's they're going to have to probably be doing a little bit of soul-searching here and say, well, here we are 6-4. and four. It's not exactly the dream season that we thought it was coming off of the Baylor game where you know Iowa State was thinking we could win the Big 12 and play in the New Year's Six, and the sky was the limit. They didn't really have a shot at the CFP, but sure. certainly a, an historic season for Iowa State. But now it's, okay, well, we have four losses. Um, at worst, a, yeah. It's a pretty good season, but uh, on the other hand, they're playing K-State, and you know that the Iowa State players, and certainly the fans, remember the game in Manhattan last year and what they deem as a controversial uh, game where they lost. And so I doubt that it's going to take a whole lot of motivation from Matt Campbell to get his players ready to go on Saturday. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. Uh, an Iowa State team that's played pretty darn well at home uh, this year, uh, only dropping that Oklahoma game at the start of the season. So we'll go ahead. Is there anything else, I guess, uh, before we, we make our predictions here on this one? Uh, that you'd like to add it regarding the Cyclones? No. Um, I, I would say that the key for K-State is going to have to – I would lean on Alex Barnes and shove it up the middle of that Iowa State defense the best you can because that's really what Texas had a lot of uh, success with against them last week is just running between the tackles. And so you would hope that we don't overcomplicate things and, and try to rely too much on Skylar Thompson to, to – win this game for K-State. Obviously, I think K-State's, if they want a chance to win this game, they're going to have to finish the drives. They're going to have to take advantage of Iowa State's um, uh, struggles to finish drives. And so if K-State can hold Iowa State to field goals once they get inside the 20 or 30-yard line, that's great news for uh, – it's a great job by the lynch mob. But uh, it's a tough matchup, and it'll be a tough game and what I'm sure will be a cold and raucous environment in names. Well, with that being said, what's your call here? Well, I haven't got too many of these games right this year, and I think that's probably because uh, K-State's just been so um, inconsistent in terms of how they've come out and looked week to week. Uh, On paper, I think Iowa State's the better team. Uh, I think on paper, Iowa State wins this game by roughly 10 points. I think the two touchdowns is... Higher than I would have expected, which is what the line is. Um, but on the other hand, case betting against K State against Iowa State seems like a like a fool's errand. Um, but go, before the game, I'm gonna have to say uh, Iowa State wins this game by a score of 27-21. 27-21 Iowa State. Huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. So are you not heeding Stan Weber's? 
I know K-State always beats Iowa State. I know Stan Weber's hair is going away. That's, but, all, that's all you know. But uh, it's hard for me. You can't really predict that a K-State team is going to uh, win the game on a, I don't know, a, a one-point safety. Or something, some some and crazy seen, thing like that. Point That's right, the when, Fiesta Bowl. When uh, when dealing with K State, but uh, I agree with you. I think Iowa State wins this game. Uh, I think K State, uh, for whatever reason, has played really off on the road this season. Uh, that's been a pretty constant trend. Is that and especially the defense has not played uh, particularly well. TCU on the road, other than the TCU game. That that's the one real exception there. Uh, but that has to do a lot with TCU, uh, in, in in my humble estimation. But I agree with you. I think K State um, is going to have a tough time uh, going into Ames and coming out of this one with a win. Uh, I like the Cyclones in this one, uh, twenty-eight to ten. I oh think, wow! I think it's a little uh, a little lopsided here in this one. I think K State's going to struggle to move the ball offensively. I think the defense will play. Uh, I think they'll play tough. They're just not going to be benefited much by the offense in terms of uh, giving them some sustained drives to keep that defense off the field. So uh, I like Iowa State here in this one, twenty-eight to ten. All right. So it's tough defense. Yep, yep. It's a tough defense for to move the ball uh, for uh, K State against, but we'll see what the Wildcats are able to do. Uh, Saturday night, a 6 o'clock kickoff on Fox Sports 1 uh, in Ames, Iowa at Jack Trice Stadium. So uh, that'll do it here for the Iowa State uh, preview portion here of the short side option. We'll be back after a short break to look at a Wildcat legend and answer your questions and ask the icon. We'll be back after this. Me my best all right, welcome back here to the Short Side Option Podcast, where we are getting into a favorite segment of ours, a segment we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, uh, this week's Wildcat Legend is uh, a player who wore a prominent number in K-State football history. That number, of course, is uh, number seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a bunch of K-State greats wore that number. Sure. You have Josh Buell, you have Tony Madison, um, Paris Fisher. Paris Fisher is another one. Yep. And many, and several others. Yeah. And so numerous others. Yeah. And so, and another little hint about this week's Wildcat legend is that he had an absolutely insane game against Iowa State uh, under Bill uh, as under Bill Snyder. Um, oh, okay. And so uh, I'm talking, of course, about... you would only be talking about one man. Red Alert. Red Alert, baby. Lamarck Brown. That's right. And uh, Lamarck Brown, he... Uh, before I get into some of his stats, I just want to talk about how astounded I was at watching his videos uh, when he was being recruited. Because this guy played seemingly every position on the field. Uh, went to high school in St. Louis, if I mm-hmm. recall correctly. Correct. Uh, was one of Ron's most high-profile recruits outside of Freeman. Mm-hmm. And I remember 
he would just score every touchdown. He would make every tackle for this team, and he would block every punt. <laughs> he was just he all. an animal on the field. Uh, he went to Hazelwood West High School in Hazelwood, Missouri, um, and just tore it up there. Uh, his first year at Kansas State uh, was in 2007. He saw action in eight games as a true freshman uh, and made one start. Uh, he played wide receiver that year and really a legendary freshman year for him. Uh, three catches for 33 yards on the season, which is a really impressive true freshman year mm-hmm. uh, for, a young, for a young wide receiver. And then 2008... Things switched up a little bit That's right. for Lamarck. Uh, he played the first three games at wide receiver, but uh, going into the Louisiana Tech game, he was switched to running back, uh, where in that game he totaled 137 yards and a touchdown. Um, he had an injury uh, that year, which sidelined him for a little bit. But on the season, he rushed 118 times for 412 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, he also caught 24 passes for 178 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and then in 2009, he followed up that performance with another stellar year at wide receiver, catching 18 balls for 215 yards. And so quite uh, quite a senior, well, not a senior performance, but his uh, final year at K-State, he mm-hmm. certainly put up some impressive numbers. Yeah, you know, I, I think back to that Louisiana Lafayette game, uh, where he made his debut at running back, and it was really pretty impressive because that was a game that K-State was f- extremely fortunate to win. Uh, it was... That was where Louisiana uh, Lafayette's quarterback, that's when they had DeSormo? That's right. Yeah. It's not It's not delivery, man. It's not delivery. It's DeSormo. So, and they also was- had a really good running back. He was... Uh, bowling ball guy. I can't remember his name. He offhand. was thick. But they uh, they had a good team and they pushed K State. Uh, they they took us to the limit. They but, took us to the uh, limit. But uh, it was it was uh, K State that came out on top of that one. But you know, really, you look at Lamarck Brown in terms of uh, in terms of his ability. Uh, one of the more exciting recruits uh, coming out of of high school that K State signed in, in some time. And I, I think that when you look at him, you, you wonder what he could have looked like maybe on the defensive side of the ball where uh, those K-State teams really uh, could have used a little bit of additional support at. But uh, Where no, do you put him on defense? I think he would have looked pretty nice as a linebacker or safety. I think him being a strong safety would have been pretty pretty nasty. I think he could have probably played linebacker for us. but Yeah, he could have done a lot. I mean, this is a guy that was – was truly a, a fantastic athlete, and uh, you know you have to give him a credit for um, for for being flexible enough to to change positions, uh, going from wide receiver uh, one game to running back the next game, and then going out and tearing off a hundred some yards. So you have to really give him a lot of credit for uh, for what he did uh, at, at during his time at K State. Yeah, and speaking of giving him credit for what he did. Uh, You'd have to give him credit for what he did against Iowa State in 2009. Um, really an iconic performance. We referenced it earlier. It's the Red Alert game uh, where Lamarck Brown had three big receptions for 61 yards and a touchdown um, and helped propel K-State to their 24-23 victory that uh, ended, of course, with the Emmanuel Lemur, uh blocked PAT 
right there in the the end zone for K State. Yep, great game and uh, one of my one of my favorite K State wins over Iowa State for sure. It's one of the many, certainly in the top ten. Sure, um, probably in the top, whew, probably in the top twenty four of my lifetime, roughly. Yeah, um, but. Uh, after Lamarck finished his time at K-State, he, of course, transferred to Division II power Minnesota State Mankato. Mankato. Man- <laughs> I, well, we pronounce it differently in Lenexa, where I'm from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, I didn't know you guys had different dialects. Yeah, it's there. one of those, like, Ar- Arkansas, Arkansas type gotcha. of things. Gotcha. So, just a dialect dis- uh, dispute. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know where it originated. but. Sure. Uh, for Minnesota State, he uh, he sat out the 2010 season uh, as a redshirt. Lucky for him, he had that for uh, playing his true freshman year. But then in 2011, he got 31 passes for 405 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, he was drafted. Well, he was an undrafted free agent with Falcons. Bounced around a little bit with the Bills and um, the Vikings, where he was on practice squads. But uh, then he was went to the Tampa Bay Storm in 2017 until that uh, storied franchise folded um, that year. Hmm. And uh, most recently, he's with the Baltimore Brigade. Very so nice. kind of a journeyman around the professional football ranks. Well, uh, you know, he may be a, a journeyman uh, in the professional football ranks, uh, but I feel comfortable calling Lamarck Brown this week's Wildcat legend. All right, now moving on to uh, our final segment, um, a segment that we call uh, Ask the Icon. And listeners are reminded that they can submit their questions to the Icon each week by tweeting at the Short Side Option Podcast at TSSO underscore podcast or using the hashtag Ask the Icon. And um, Icon, our first question this week comes from listener Evan. Um, Evan asks the icon, can we get a Les Miles impression? Yeah, so I think with this brand of football that we're going to play mm-hmm. and all the things that our student athletes are going to do in this community, they're going to do a number of different types of things. Remarkable. Just, just a little <laughs> heartfelt there for me. But in all, it, all kidding that aside. That was like I was trying to talk to Les Miles, right? Yeah, all kidding aside, it was a little bit odd there by Les Miles in his, in his, pre, in his uh, introductory press conference. Um, seemed to be a little bit... Uh, off here uh, in terms of, I mean, what I how I just described it was, it's actually pretty pretty accurate. <laughs> I mean, was the guy was um, disturbing. The, uh, yeah, it was just like he he kept forgetting like what he was talking about, but just had a little heartfelt man. But just a little heartfelt for him. But it'll be interesting, you know. Uh, Les Miles obviously a proven commodity when it comes to coaching, uh, but the reason why he got fired at LSU uh, was that he was not adapting to how college football is being played now, and his offense uh, w- was stuck in a rut, and that was what held him back. So it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do 
or what he's able to do if he's changed his his uh, philosophy uh, on what it needs on what he needs to do on the offensive side of the ball or not. But it'll definitely be something worth watching. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Les Miles does at KU. All right, and oh, what's this? We have a a question from our studio audience. Um, is that you know Icon? I think it is. I think this is. Uh, listener Big Dog in Madison here in the Short Side Option uh, studio. Yeah. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a question, Big Dog? I do. Icon, I'm curious if K-State fans should be concerned about having less miles in the Big 12 Conference and how his experience in the SEC translates to the Big 12 Conference. Well, when you look at what, uh, what Les Miles did at LSU, obviously – a consistent winner in the SEC, uh, but really the SEC in his style of play is ball control. We're going to keep the ball on the ground. We're going to lean on our defense. We're we're going to play a pretty conservative style of play. That might not work in the Big Twelve in terms of the high flying, innovative offenses out here. Um, in terms of X's and O's in in in, in scheming. I think he's got a lot of catching up to do uh, with what's been going on here in the Big 12 uh, for the last you know dozen or so years. So to be to be quite honest, I would not be concerned at all uh, if you're a K-State fan about Les Miles uh, going to KU. However, uh, the guy has been a pro, uh, a proven program manager. I do expect KU to show some improvements. Uh, but with what they've recruited as more of an up-tempo air raid uh, attack here in the last uh, few years with David Beatty, it's going to be a tough transition into uh, into molding that offense into the identity that Les Miles uh, wants to do, which is more of a pro-styled, balanced ball control attack. All right, and thanks very much to uh, our live audience, Big Dog and Madison. We, we have the best fans here, don't we, folks? Yeah, I will say that was highly unorthodox, and listeners are reminded to submit their questions via Twitter um, and to uh, keep a healthy uh, <laughs> healthy separation between uh, the icon and myself and uh, the listeners. But thank you regardless. Uh, moving on now to question uh, posed by Jason Hoover at thehoove 32 uh, Jason asks, is Blake Seiler getting enough credit for the job he's done? OU being the obvious outlier. Are there any assistants you hope will be part of the next staff? Yeah, I think of the new assistant, or well, I shouldn't say of the new assistants, but of the new coordinators, uh, no question that Blake Seiler and uh, Norwood have done the best. So I know that they're co-defensive coordinators. Uh, of course, it seems like... Um, you know Brian Norwood and and uh, came on from Tulsa, came over to K State. But it seems like Blake Siler's really uh, kind of had the role of being the main guy there, calling the plays. Seems to be the most involved. I'd have to say that he um, has really impressed me. Really throughout the season, thought he's done some good things in terms of dialing up blitzes uh, in, in some spots that we hadn't seen it before. Uh, I will also say, too, he is one of the better recruiters on the staff. So I've been pretty darn impressed with him. And, you know, outside of the game against OU where we just got completely, you know, torched up and down the field, defense has been, you know, serviceable, I think, at times this year. I don't think the numbers necessarily reflect what what I see in terms of, of the quality of the defense. 
But uh, yeah, I give you have to re, you know remind yourself too. This is Blake Siler's first uh, job calling plays uh, as a defensive coordinator. This is his first year doing that. So I think he's uh, proven to be a pretty darn capable defensive coordinator and is a young coach with a lot of promise. And what was the second part to his question? Uh, are there any assistants uh, you hope will be on part of the next staff? Yeah, I would. I would hope to see uh, Blake Siler be there. Um, that's the only one that I have real strong conviction with at this time. Um, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm just. I'm just talking of the on-field coaches. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Eric Hickson stick around. Uh, he seems to have some sol- Be building some solid ties, uh, recruiting ties down in Florida. Um, but really, you know, whenever you have a new coach come in, uh, if that's to be the case, they always have their guys in mind. So it, it's uh, it seems to me that most of the time, uh, you know, they, they've got a pretty good idea of who they're going to bring in from their previous staff. So usually it's a pretty wholesale change. So those are two guys I'd like to see, but uh, I know oftentimes uh, a lot of guys don't stick around. All right, our next question comes from listener Diego at Lego My Diego uh, one on Twitter. That's a very creative handle. It is. Um, Diego asks, Icon, what do you make of the decreasing fan attendance this season, particularly this past week's game? Are fans sending Bill and staff a message of we expect better, or are they simply being fair weather? Well, really, uh, last week's attendance was a little bit short. Uh, of course, with it being miserably cold outside, uh, windy, and uh, the team's not been playing super well, of course, this season. That was by far the worst attendance this season. But, you know, really, throughout the season, I thought the attendance has been pretty strong. Uh, of course, uh, the Oklahoma State game, homecoming, a beautiful day for it, uh, great crowd, uh, really good crowd at the, at the KU game. And then I expected that there would be a drop-off for the Texas Tech game just because you know, it's not uh, you know a rivalry game with KU uh, like KU. What's it's not homecoming like it was against Oklahoma State, and and of course uh, the weather and and how the team's been playing also contribute to that. So I don't take a whole lot of um, I don't take a whole lot of uh, stake into you know the attendance last week. It was a miserable day to be out there, and you know I thought the crowd was you know albeit a smaller crowd. Thought they did a pretty decent job of staying engaged, uh, considering the conditions. It was cold. It was oh yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. <clears throat> Our next question comes from listener more like Littrell, am I right? Uh, at e underscore s for KSU. Um, Littrell asks, Icon, if K State football was a Thanksgiving food, what would they be? Um, the only. I would say mashed potatoes and gravy because that are my, that's my favorite, and K-State football is my favorite. And it's kind of bland. Te- nice texture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, it goes down easy. Yeah. But as for the rest of them, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to go through each, each and every one of them here. But uh, If you want my opinion on uh, what TCU is. Sure. Cranberry pie. Cranberry pie? They're cranberries. <laughs> Wait, you guys don't have cranberry pie at the Icon household? No, we don't. <laughs> You're missing out, my man. Okay. All right. Well, we'll <laughs> have to see if we can get that, some of that whipped up. The, 
Oh, that's very fair. Whipped cream goes great on it, too. Oh, okay. That's good. I'll, I'll make note of that. All right. And our final question this week comes from Vinzi for KSU at KSU underscore funny 33. Uh, Vinzi asks, if you were the AD, how would you ramp up uh, this Farmageddon rivalry? I think we need a trophy, and both teams should have some special-themed unis. I have no ideas on a trophy, but I think the team should wear overall themed jerseys. Mm. What do you think? What do you think about this uniform discussion? I, I don't really do uniform discussion. Uh, really, it's not my thing. Uh, but I do like the idea of an of a trophy. That's something I could be on board with. What, what kind of trophy are you thinking? Well, you think about uh, the agricultural landscape here in Kansas, the wheat state. Everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. Iowa, much more uh, known for prolifically producing corn. And butter carvings. Yeah. Everyone knows about the butter carvings. Yeah. Yeah, everyone knows It's a this. staple. Uh, so what I think would look nice is a nice trophy here. Uh, I'm just asking you to close your eyes and envision this here. Uh, wheats on, on one side. Um, corn stalks on the other. And then maybe um, like a football or something in the middle. A football? Yeah, the football that's, just you know gets, a gets crazy started. idea. Well, you remember like Iowa and Nebraska when they started playing each other. Uh, when Nebraska moved to the Big Ten, they had like some they had like a family. Yeah, and that was a, a really a a poor rivalry. <laughs> that did trophy. not go. Over so whatever well. whatever that one was exactly, don't do that one. Just do something different. But have some corn. Have some wheat. Have a nice big trophy. I think I think that's where you start, and you have people that uh, are more creative in the trophy cr- uh, creation business. Uh, take it from there. Hey, what, what, if, what about a what about a golden scorpion, man? Well, speaking of the scorpion, I I do want to segue here. We're recording this. It's now twelve thirty-five Tuesday morning uh, here Central Time, and. Uh, Bruce, the Scorpion Weber, and uh, the K-State men's basketball team came off a pretty darn uh, good Paradise Jam tournament where uh, they took it to um, they took it to Eastern Kentucky game one, took it to uh, the uh, the Penn Quakers game two, and then they just laid it on the Missouri Tigers in uh, the championship game. To an easy, uh, to an easy Paradise Jam trophy, and gets uh, gets a nice tournament win. Uh, the first uh, trophy, in ter- tournament trophy, won by uh, this group of seniors, which I know uh, Barry, uh, Cam, and, and Dean had been had been wanting. They they had some chances, of course, last year in the Continental Tire uh, tournament losing to Arizona State in the finals, and then, of course, losing to uh, North Carolina their freshman year in the CBE where uh, they really had that game kind of. They had led pretty much the entire game, but fell apart in the final 10 minutes of that one. Uh, But, yeah, guys get a trophy, played well, and uh, still undefeated on the season. So definitely impressive there from the K-State men's team. Yeah, Bruce, uh, the Scorpion has these guys – Starting to play a little better after a couple shaky starts. Yeah, covered um, the spread in all three of those uh, games out in uh, the Virgin Islands as well. Yeah, that's right. And so, good chance for the seniors to get the trophy, as you mentioned. Good chance for some of the younger guys to get in and, and get some more experience against, uh, you know, Penn and Missouri. Uh, they're not exactly pushovers. And yeah. so, you think, well, this is a chance. And we won the, each of those games pretty comfortably, and... Um, 
a chance for our guys to go out there against fair competition and uh, get some experience and ultimately win each game pretty comfortably. Yep, it was a, a nice 82-67 win over the Missouri Tigers. Uh, K-State will be back in Bramlage uh, on the 24th against the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. Uh, so they will be back to try to push their record to 6-0 and and maybe just maybe get their way into the top 10 uh, here as we close out the month of November. Hey, just so long as no duds ruin it for us uh, in the AP poll, I think uh, I think you're right. I think we could sneak in there and take our rightful place in the top 10. But getting back to my point that got us all in this tangent, I just think a golden scorpion trophy would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, all those scorpions aren't necessarily native to Kansas, uh, except to Manhattan, of course, and or Iowa. I don't know if that's maybe a, a fit there. But, be badass. Uh, well, that, that I can't argue. <laughs> yeah. That I can't argue. Well, uh, that'll do it here for us here on this edition of the Short Side Option. Uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to review uh, K-State's season finale against Iowa State. Potentially look ahead. I wondered game. about bowl games. Maybe start looking also uh, at uh, potential coaching search. Who quite knows what will happen on the next edition of the Short Side Option? There's only one way to find out, and that's by tuning next week to the Short Side Option podcast. Go Cats. Like these